Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, July the 10th, 2023. It is currently 1047 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And right behind my studio, directly across the street, my neighbor is having his roof replaced. Now, if you have been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know I've discussed the roofing issues here in my neighborhood because we had a massive hailstorm come in and everyone in this neighborhood is getting their roof replaced. Well, when the roofing crews come in to replace the roof, you know it can get extremely loud. And when the house is directly, I'm like, I look out my window, I'm looking directly at it. When it's right there and you got all of the workers and their hammers and their tools and well, it, it can get loud. So I've been sitting here for a couple, I don't know, maybe about an hour, maybe longer just trying to go, do I go live? Do I not go live? Do I go live? And I'm deciding that we're going live. Obviously, I've made that decision. And hopefully, you don't hear all kinds of noise in the background. If you hear any noise in the background, that's what it is. There's a roofing crew across the street replacing my neighbor's roof. And uh, well, it's going to require them to be doing a lot of work. It's going to be... uh, requiring them to use a lot of tools and maybe requiring them to use a lot of power tools. Whatever they are using to replace everything, you may hear that in the background. You're going to be hearing work going on in the background as, in a sense, we talk about on this particular episode of the Theology Central podcast. We're going to talk about power. We're going to talk about work. But we're going to be talking about a different kind of power, a different kind of work, not the power tools, not the work of putting on a new roof. But we're going to be talking about power and work in the life of a Christian, because I received an email that raised some very important questions and questions I think a lot of people have when they listen to me, because I think a lot of people get I won't say concerns. Maybe some people get concerned. I think some people just strongly disagree with me. I think some cases I'm, I, people strong, I think they greatly misunderstand what I'm trying to say, but it is something that we definitely need to talk about. All right. So let's do this before we get to the email. Within the evangelical world, within the Christian world, there is a basic when I, you know, definitely within the evangelical world, but pretty much in the Christian world, we'll just say, you know, because some people don't want to be called evangelicals, we can get into that. But in the, we'll say the, we won't talk about Catholicism. In the non-Catholic Christian world, there's a pretty general teaching that is found in many churches, I would say probably in the majority of churches. And it goes something like this. Before you are saved, you are in bondage to sin. You are dead, you're in bondage, you are a slave. But when you become a Christian, you have been set free. You're no longer in bondage to sin. You now have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now you can obey the law of God. You now can keep the law of God. Now you can choose to obey God. 
And this is a very common teaching. It will, they will typically say something like this. Now that you are a Christian, you are a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. Everything has become new. And they are referencing that not to your position, but to you practically that you're a new creature in Christ. Everything has become new. All things have become new. The old is gone. And that is stated over and over and over. So they will teach this. You have power. You've been set free. You can obey. You can keep the law. You're a new creature. The old is gone. All things have become new. This is true. This is, this is a reality. And so then Christians are like, yes, I've been set free. I can keep the law. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. I can do this. The problem is, at some point, you someone's going to raise their hand and go, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I keep sinning, and 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 I sin here, and I sin here, and sin there. So someone will come along, well, well, yeah, I mean, you have been set free, you'd have power, yes, you are a new creature, the old is gone, all things have become new, but, but, but you're still going to sin. You still can't be perfect. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said I've been set free. I thought you said I'm a new creature. I thought you said the old is gone and all things have become new. Well, I mean, we said that, but I mean, you still, you're still going to sin and it leads to some confusion. So then somewhere in the midst of that confusion, a lot of things begin to take place. Some will almost begin to minimize certain sins, right? They almost create, they, they will not say this, but this is almost the practical of uh, way it works out. Certain sins, those are the big ones. Those Now, they wouldn't use this term. Those are the moral sins. And if you keep committing those sins, or if you commit them enough, it may prove that you were never saved in the first place. Now, there's a lot of venial sins. Okay, well, you know, nobody is perfect. And so you'll try to try to excuse that. So what you do is you look at the big one, say, see, I'm not committing that one. See, I'm really saved. And the venial one, well, nobody is perfect, and I'm trying to work it out. You create two different levels of sin. You also will start trying to convince yourself that you're far more godly and you're far more righteous than you want to because you almost begin to change the definition of sin. Sin is no longer any lack of conformity to the holiness of God in thought, word, desire, feeling, or action. No, you will reduce sin basically to some external actions, and downplay all the ways you are sinning in your thoughts, in your desires, and your, you will downplay that because you've got to convince yourself that you've been really, you have this power. You've been set free. So as a result, you downplay it. You, 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 you have to kind of change. You have to put sins in different categories and you have to downplay all of that internal sin because you've got to convince yourself that you're doing something that, you know, you've got more power. You're godly. You're holy because, because the, well, the only other way of looking at it is, wait a minute, maybe I'm not saved in the first place. This leads to lots of confusion. It leads to doubt. It leads to people questioning their salvation. And I think in some cases, it leads people to complete despair. They're like, well, wait a minute. You told me that basically I have all this power, but what I keep seeing in my life is sin, 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 sin. And it leads people almost to the point of wanting to give up. Now, whenever I talk about this, whenever I mention this, people get nervous. 
And they're like, well, you, you're teaching a powerless Christianity. You're talking a Christianity with no power. You're talking a Christianity where people continue to sin. You talk about a Christianity where people continue to fail. And that's not, no, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We're new creatures. The old is gone. All is new. You need to teach that. And I'm like, well, you can teach that, but look at the reality. 2000 years of church history, sin, failure, sin. Look at some of the reports on how many children are sexually abused in churches. Now, the minute I start bringing in all these statistics about divorce and sexual abuse and pornography and fornication and all the things going on in the church, immediately the the, the people will go, no, 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 no. Those people who commit those things, they're not saved. They just immediately start throwing them out of the body of Christ because, see, it, it destroys their power narrative. So when I talk about this, I can understand people get nervous. They're like, you're, you're, you're teaching a powerless Christianity. You're teaching a Christianity that doesn't change. And I understand that. And I understand the concern. But I'm trying to be very realistic. And, and I'm trying to be very realistic as someone who's been, you know, a Christian now for a very long time. I think when you're a young Christian, you don't quite see it this way. You have this, you have a different mentality. So we've talked about these things I feel like a hundred times, a thousand times. We've talked about this in so many ways. And of course, new people listen uh, and new people discover the podcast. They hear this and, and, and it sounds so foreign to them because they're used to a Christianity that says, you now have been set free. You now have the power. You now have the ability. You can do it. And then, of course, you go like, yes, I can. And then if someone's come along, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think maybe we need to look at this a little differently. It's going to sound crazy. It's going to sound foreign. And I, and I, and I'm, and I'm very aware of that. Now I, I kind of lay that as the foundation, very simplified. That's like the cliff notes, but I lay that as the foundation because on July the 6th at 7.09 a.m., July the 6th, 2023, at 7.09 a.m., I received the following email. Hello. I just finished listening to the Theology Central podcast on E.M. Bounds. A quote was provided from Bounds along with the interpretation, pray more, obey more. The idea presented by the host of the podcast, referencing Bounds, is that the more time and effort we spend in prayer, the holier we will be. Through prayer, we receive power to obey. Apart from prayer, we are weakened and subject to disobedience. My question is, why is this such a fearful thought? All right, now, I may have said something like that kind of quote scares me to death. I would have to go back and listen to the broadcast. I mean, I do lots of episodes, so sometimes I don't remember all of my language. It's only fearful in this. When you tell people, hey, if you read your Bible and if you pray more, then basically you get some kind of power to obey. It can lead to some really horrible ways of thinking that I think are detrimental because either one, you're like, okay, look, look, if you'll just pray more and read your Bible more, then dun, dun, ta-da, you can be perfect. 
And, and then, but then immediately someone said, well, no, 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 no. We're not saying you'll be perfect. Okay, well then that means that there's a limit to the power which you say that we're going to obtain through prayer and Bible reading. So how much power do we get? Do we get enough to be perfect? And if so, do we demand perfection? If it's not enough to get us to perfection, why is there a limit to the power that we supposedly obtain through doing these things? Not only that, to me, it creates this performance-based cycle where people are, I'm trying, I'm trying, I got to do more, I got to do more, I got to do more, which will only lead, I believe, to despair. Now, by all means, should we pray? Yes, we're called to pray. By all means, should we read and study the Bible? Well, anyone who listens to this podcast know I'm a strong believer in reading and the study of Scripture because we do something called the Bible study exercise where I'm constantly encouraging people to get up off the couch, actually study the Bible, and and I'm constantly teaching Bible study methods. We should pray. We're commanded to pray. We should study, read, meditate the Scriptures because I believe we are commanded to do so. How much power we supposedly obtain from that is where I would call into question. Do I believe there are spiritual benefits from that? Yes, because if you're praying, you're putting your focus on God more than to focus on your circumstances and self. That's a good thing. By reading the Bible, you're changing your mind. You're renewing your mind to think differently about sin, to see that which maybe you didn't think was a sin now as a sin, to be confronted with the very sin you're committing. Do I believe that there are spiritual benefits that come from that? Absolutely. Do I believe I'm now given some special power? That's where I would call into question. It's all in how it's worded. It's all, it's all in how, uh, it's all in what is implied by those kinds of statements. All right. When you say through prayer, we receive the power to obey, then all you would have to say is, okay, you pray for two hours a day and then you won't sin. If you say through prayer, we receive the power to obey, then all it requires for me to live a sinless life is to pray more. So do I pray, if I pray five hours a day, do then I, does that power last for 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours? What's the, what's the, what's the ratio? What, what's the, uh, the, the formula? Five hours of prayer gives me two days of sinlessness. You say, well, that's ridiculous. No, that it's not ridiculous. That's a very good question. If you're telling me prayer gives power that would keep, that gives me the ability to obey God. And now you're telling me as a Christian, I can obey the law of God. Are you telling me as a Christian, I can now fulfill the law of God perfectly? Now, my question obviously would be, okay, pray and then tell me that you can love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. I will argue you never will. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't believe you'll ever come close to loving your neighbor because it's more than just the external action. It's the internal attitude. Oh, and be ye holy as God is holy. Those are three scriptural commands. You will never fulfill that. I don't care if you pray 14 hours a day. I don't care if you read your Bible the other 14 hours in a day. I don't care. You're not, you're not going to pull it off. You're going to fall short because to love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul is you're, you're loving God completely. We, we don't, we love ourselves completely. We never truly love God. Love our neighbor as ourselves. There's times we may be loving, but we will never reach and be holy as God is holy. You never have been. You never will be. You will fall short of that completely. Now in Christ Jesus, 
Christ loved the Father with all his heart, mind, body, and soul. So in Christ, I do love God. Christ loved his neighbor as himself. So in Christ, I do. Uh, be holy as God is holy. Christ was holy as God is holy. So therefore, in Christ, I am those things. Positionally, I accomplish all of those things. Practically, I never will. Should I strive to? Absolutely. Should I want to? Absolutely. Should I confess when I don't? Absolutely. So it's it's not so much a fearful thought as much as it is, well, I guess it's fearful only in this sense. It concerns me because it leads people to this performance-based idea that they can do it. And then when they, re- either they have to start convincing themselves, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other people. They have to start convincing themselves and they end up clothing themselves in a robe of self-righteousness to make themselves feel like that they're doing it which typically leads to spiritual arrogance, pride, and being judgmental, or it leads them to the pit of complete and total despair where they then start deconstructing and start saying Christianity doesn't work. Because the reality is you're going to sin over and over and over again. So if you say that you have power, you've got to tell me what, how much power is there? They go with this. Would you agree with the sentiment, which I believe was presented by D.L. Modi, that sin will keep us from the Bible and the Bible will keep us from sin? Okay, now here we go. I have no problem with saying that the study of scripture will help me in my battle with sin. Why? Because scripture will, one, let's think about those scriptures will do. It will help me, it will, it will help inform me of what is sin and what isn't sin. It will Tell me that that is sinful and convict me of it. So the more I'm reading scripture where I may feel like something is not sinful, but it'll be right there. The Bible telling me that's a sinful attitude. Those are sinful words. Those are sinful actions. Those are sinful thoughts. So I will be constantly confronted with it. Therefore, I'm changing my mind. My mind is being renewed. I'm I'm being convicted. I'm being challenged. I believe the Bible is a massive help in helping us see things from God's perspective versus our perspective. Being challenged, being convicted. So I do believe the Bible is a help. I, I won't deny that in any way, shape, or form. It is a help. I don't believe it and it gives me some kind of supernatural power but I believe it is a help because it's it's me looking at things from a from it's helping me see things from a perspective that comes from God, not from me. It, it challenges me where I may say something's not a sin, but scripture will be right there going, no, that that thinking, that motivation. But here's the thing. The more you read and the more you study, the more sin in you will be revealed. So at the same time, you have to realize it may be helping me with sin, but the more I read and the more I study, the more sin I'm going to see. The more sin I'm going to see, the more I am confronted with the words of God, the more my sin will become more and more evident. I will become more and more convicted. I I will become, woe is me, I am undone. The more we see of the holiness of God in the study of scripture, the more our sin will stand out. 
Now, I think that ultimately is helpful, but you have to have something else to, you can't, what you, what, when, when the more I study scripture, the more of my sin I'm going to see. My hope isn't then, then somehow I'll stop sinning. My hope better be in the one who never sinned and in the one whom my salvation is completely reliant upon his righteousness and his holiness. They go on with the next uh, paragraph. Shouldn't we encourage the idea of holiness? Shouldn't we encourage the idea that if we read God's word and pray to Almighty God, he will empower us to live victoriously over sin. Now, here we go. We got two concepts going on. Should we encourage holiness? Absolutely. Should we encourage Bible reading and prayer? Absolutely. But see, once again, once you say that God will empower us to live victoriously over sin, that seems to imply that God will empower us to never sin because to live victoriously over sin would be sinlessness. You can't say God will empower you to live over sin, but then turn around and say, well, no one will be perfect. Well, if no one isn't perfect, then they're in a perpetual state of sin because sin, any lack of conformity to God is sin. Well, we're, we're in sin 24 hours a day. So if we're in sin continually, is that victoriously, it may be victor, vic, victoriously, we may be victorious over one sin, but what about the other sins? For example, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. To not do that is sin. Are you living victoriously over that sin? Can you honestly say that you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Can you honestly say that you love your neighbor as yourself? Can you honestly say that you are holy as God is holy? Now, that that command is, is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in Peter and then Jesus, even on the Sermon on the Mount says, be ye perfect as your heavenly father in heaven, as your heavenly father is perfect. We're called to be holiness and perfection over and over and over. You never will live that. So if God's going to give you the power to, as you put it, to live victoriously over sin, then that would mean we are holy as God is holy. We love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, and we love our neighbor as ourself. No body accomplishes that. Now, in Christ, in my position, I am victorious over sin. In my position, I am perfect. I am holy. I am righteous. I'm obedient. That's why we, as non-Catholics, we believe we are saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. I am declared, we, we call this forensic justification. It's a legal declaration. I'm legally declared to be just. I'm legally declared to be perfect and holy, even though I am not. Or as Luther would have said, I'm given an alien righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's God's righteousness that's just accredited to my account. I'm still a sinner. I'm a saint positionally. I'm a sinner practically. That is the reality of the Christian life. Leonard Ravenhill, a man who often mentioned uh, bounds in his sermons, once said, it's a fearful thing that men today are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. Okay. That I, I, I don't have a problem with saying that it's a bad thing if people are more afraid of holiness than they are of sinfulness. I think we should be afraid of sinfulness. I think it should bother us. I think we should be devastated by it. But what's our hope? Is my hope is to be so afraid of sinfulness that I seek practical holiness or my sinfulness, is it not there to drive me to the imputed righteousness of Christ? 
See, either like, oh, I'm so afraid of sinfulness that I pursue holiness, or I'm so afraid of sinfulness that I flee to the imputed righteousness of Christ. I think it should drive you to the imputed righteousness of Christ. There you are safe. There you are forgiven. There you're declared to be holy. Then from that position of now security, comfort, grace, and mercy, out of a feeling of gratitude, being overwhelmed by God's mercy— that then I move and work towards trying to live a life of godliness and holiness. So once again, it depends on how you how you work this. Typically, it's it's a very performance based idea. Hey, you should be more afraid of sin than holiness. And are you afraid of sin? Well, then pursue holiness. It it bypasses the imputed righteousness of Christ. We should run to it. All right, then they go on. Truly, now this is what they say. Uh, uh, hang on. Uh, they, they say this, Jesus died to make us free from the dominion of sin so that we're no longer slaves to the sinful nature. Now, this is a common teaching. Hey, you're no longer a slave to the sinful nature. Well, if you're no longer a slave to the sinful nature, then you should be perfect. Or at least perfection is attainable. And if you believe perfection is attainable, Look, you have every right to believe that. You can believe a perfection is attainable. Pursue it. Seek it. Just be, all I ask is just be honest. Just, I, just as you're like, okay, I'm no longer a slave to the sinful nature. Therefore, I can be perfect. Fine. Then all you do is judge yourself according to the strictest standards of, God, of God's word. That you are holy in thought, word, desire, feeling, and action that you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, that you love your neighbor as yourself, and that you're holy as God is holy. Judge yourself according to that. Because if you're no longer a slave to your sinful nature, if now you've been set free from your sinful nature, the sinful nature no longer has control, dominion over you, you now can overcome it. Meaning, therefore, you can obey God. Well, then by all means, you go live that way. I'm not going to stop you. Go, Go pursue it. Go pursue it. Now, I, I know lots of people who believe basically, I, I've worked with people who believed basically sinless perfection was not only possible, it was plausible. I, I never saw them come anywhere close to accomplishing it. I saw them falling short over and over, gossip, slander, uh, all kinds of things over and over and over and over again. And, and, and sometimes you just want to look at them and go, do you not? And, but they could not, and almost like they, in many cases, they would not even acknowledge their own failure. But look, if you believe that, I'm not here to argue with you. Pursue it. Go after it. But when you find yourself, I don't know when it will be. I don't know if it's going to be today. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. But at some point, you're going to find yourself going, I still sin. Sin still is inside of me. The nature is still there. And it still is causing thoughts and desires and feelings and actions. Just be, and when you're alone and you're open and honest with yourself, just remember this. Don't seek more behavioral modification. Don't seek more effort. Run to Christ and, and Rest in the imputed righteousness. Rest in the robe of righteousness that is accredited to your account. That's the only place you're going to find peace. That's the only place you're going to find comfort. And just don't allow yourself 
to to just simply clothe yourself in a robe of self-righteousness, which leads to spiritual pride, arrogance, where you condemn everyone else, constantly thinking that you are better than everyone else. Don't allow that to happen. That's all I would say. If you believe that you've been set free from the sinful nature, fine. I'm, I'm not here to argue with you. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Just, just I just want you to t- think that and take that to its logical conclusion. If you're no longer a slave to the sinful nature, then you should be able to reach sinless perfection. It, it has to be possible, if not plausible. For me, the sinful nature is very much present. It's still there, and it's not going away till glorification. And I not only do I sin, I will continue to sin and struggle with sin. Should I fight it? Yes. Should I strive against it? Yes. My only hope is not, though, in that attempt to fight it. My hope is in the imputed righteousness. Now, if I was a Catholic, I would believe that I was saved by an infused righteousness, that he infused righteousness in me. And then then I cooperate with that infused righteousness to try to then stay away from mortal sin so that I can stay in a state of grace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I go through the entire Catholic system, but I reject the Catholic system. I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused one. And I believe the sinful nature is still there. And I believe I am, it's still is, is, I am not free from it. It's still present there and active, but that's, but that's okay. Now they go on to say, truly no amount of prayer or Bible reading or mortifying sin will save our souls from eternal hell. Okay, great. I, I agree that teaching is a different gospel. Okay. We're in the same we're in the same boat there. We're, we, we are in agreement. We're in agreement. I would, however, cautious about encouraging a powerless, hopeless version of Christianity where nothing really changes except a belief that we hold. Now, I understand that and I respect that. I'm not here to argue with you. I, I respect that. Now, I, 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 I would say this. I believe this, that something does change in salvation. First, there's a change of mind, right? I change my mind about Christ. I change my mind about sin. I acknowledge my sin. I know my only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I run to that. I cling to that. And as a result of that change of mind, well, then now I walk away from my belief in Christ, realizing, okay, that action is sinful, that is sinful, and that is ungodly. And now I'm supposed to strive against it. I'm supposed to fight against it. And yes, God has given me his word. And I am to read it and to study it. Yes, I can pray. I got no problem with that. But I know this, the sinful nature remains. The sinful nature is currently working on me, in me, and against me. I just don't believe that practically that I'm a new creature in Christ and the old is gone and all things have become new. I believe that is true positionally. Positionally, I'm in Christ. I am perfect. I'm holy. Practically, I'm still a sinner. And my only hope is the imputed righteousness. Now, do I, do I wish God would have saved me by almost giving me an infused righteousness, removing the sinful nature and saying, now, hey, you can be perfect. Go be perfect. I, well, that would be wonderful because then, you know, maybe Christianity would look different. But 2,000 years of Christianity, all you see is sin and failure and 
church splits, divorce, you name the sin, it's in the church just as much as it's in the world. Now, I know the, 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 the answer to all of that is those people aren't saved. Those people aren't saved. Those people aren't saved. Those people aren't saved. And then you're judging people's salvation, not on the basis of their faith in Christ, but on the basis of their action, which then leads to a works-based system. All right. Our hope is built on the foundation of doing what Jesus said, not merely believing it. Believing is following. Believing is doing. These are some thoughts that the podcast provoked. Thank you for the opportunity to respond. Well, first of all, first of all, thank you a million times over. And I mean this for taking the time to write. Uh, thanks for taking the time to share a perspective that obviously you knew possibly is somewhat contrary to mine. I respect that. And, and I want you to understand I'm not arguing in any way, shape, or form. I'm not here to really debate it. Here is, here is how I approach it. And I don't know how old this person is. I don't know how long this person has been a Christian. But I know this. I became a Christian as a teenager. And I was given the power speech. You're now a new creature in Christ. I think that's one of the first scriptures I memorize is now that I'm a new creature in Christ, you know, uh, I'll hold all things that become new. The old is gone, right? Everything is new. And I, I remember thinking about that and focusing on it. And I, and I remember going, okay, what's the implications of that? If I'm a new creature and everything is new and the old is completely gone, well, then I should stop sinning. I mean, if I'm a new creature, the old is completely gone. Everything is new. I should stop sinning. And then I realized I kept sinning and I kept sinning. And the more I would read and the more I would study, the more sin I would discover. And then I started realizing sin is not just merely the external because I would be like, well, I didn't do this. I didn't. Hey, this Friday night, I didn't do that. I used to do that on a Friday night. But then I realized I was still desiring it or lusting for it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm still sinning according to scripture. And then I would be like, well, wait a minute. Now my sin is internal and external. And then I would find myself falling short over and over and over. And I reached the point of total and complete and utter despair at times. But everyone else seemed to pr- pr- pretty much happy. Everyone else seemed pretty much comfortable. Everyone else seemed like, well, no, no. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect. I'm like, but you said that I'm a new creature. You said the old is gone. Everything has become new. But the, but I'm clearly the old person is still there. Well, I mean, yes, I mean, you, you still, and then they would try to modify. On one hand, they're telling me you've been set free. On one, on, on one hand, they're telling me I'm a new creature. On one hand, they're telling me all things have become new. On one hand, they're telling me I've got power. On one hand, they're telling me I have the ability to obey. The one hand, they're telling me if I pray more and read my Bible more, that I could do it. But then on the other hand, they're saying, however, however, you can't be perfect. Well, wait a minute. So do I, you're telling me I have power, but you're limiting the power. So how much power do I, do I have the power to perfection? The minute you say you don't have the power to be perfect, you just limited the power in which you argued that we have. And if the power doesn't get me to perfection, then why am I not perfect if I'm a new creature, the old is gone, and I'm no longer enslaved to the sinful nature? I wouldn't even, if according to that, if I'm a new creature, the old is gone, and I'm no longer enslaved to the sinful nature, I don't even need power. I should just be able to now be, be sinless. But it, it continues to happen over and over and over. So it really just comes down to, well, at least for me, it was like I, I had to start convincing myself 
that I was more godly than I was. I had to start convincing myself that I was better. So I focused on the things that I did well. I started focusing on, oh, I read my Bible more than anybody else. I'm God. I, I, I started focusing on all the things I did well, started leaning to a little bit of spiritual pride, and it started making me not really admit all of my sin. And, 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 and it just, it was a spiritual disaster. Then I started realizing, wait a minute, I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused one. I'm not Catholic. Now, if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, then my hope is imputed. And then I started realizing that all the scripture that says, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that, that that's theologically speaking, those are law passages. The law shows me what I can't do. The law exposes my sin. It condemns me. And the law is to drive me to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So law says what I should do, could uh, what I should do, but I will never be able to do it. And it, t- it takes me to Christ. And Christ says, I have done it for you. I've obeyed it. I've completed it. You And in him, I am perfectly holy. So I, I, this is what I always this is what I always write down. People, the, I, I don't know the emailer personally, and we could probably have a you know a, an hour long phone conversation to talk about this. But typically, the people who write me this kind of email, who kind of make this kind of argument, they typically will admit, if push comes to shove, that the power that they say we have is limited. They typically will admit, well, yeah, you can't be perfect. Okay. If you can't be perfect, then you're, you're limiting the power. And if we can't be perfect, you have to, what's keeping me from being perfect? If I can't be perfect, something is limiting me from being perfect. The power won't get me there. So what's the thing? Oh, the sinful nature is still there. So then maybe we're not so free from the sinful nature. So I, so I believe everyone has to agree the power is limited. If the power is limited, then what is my hope? And typically, a lot of times, the power idea leads to the idea of perfectionism. You listen to the way sermons are preached. You've been set free. You now have power. You have the power to obey. Even this email used some of that language. Well, then you should be perfect. But then we come around and say, well, no, you can't be perfect. Well, wait a minute. You just said I was set free. You just said I had power. You just said I had the power to obey. But now you're saying I can't be perfect? That would mean then that there's a limit to the power. Now, why is there a limit to the power? I, 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 I believe that's, that the, all the scriptures that tell me to do something condemn me. They show me what I will not do, what I cannot do, no matter how hard I try, no matter how I want it, no matter how I hope, I'm always going to fall short in some way, shape, or form, either in thought, in word, in desire, feeling, or action, by what I do or by what I leave undone. I'm always going to fall short. And because I fall short, that should take me, that should scream at me, run to Christ. He did it for you. Every law Every scripture that says do something, Christ did it for me. Now, in Christ, I can rest in that holiness. I can rest in that perfection that was imputed, again, not infused. I mean, this is historical, basic Christianity. And then from there, out of a sense of gratitude, out of a sense of love, I seek 
to serve God. I seek to live for God. By no means am I saying, hey, just do whatever you want. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't pursue holiness. I'm not saying don't pursue righteousness. I'm not saying don't be convicted over sin. Anyone who listens to me preach knows I'm not saying that. But I think we have to clearly acknowledge that we're never going to accomplish these basic scriptures. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor yourself. Be ye holy as he is holy. You're not going to accomplish that. Why not? Well, one, that would either limit the power which you claim we get. Two, that would seem to imply there's something holding us back. What is holding us back? I believe it's the sinful nature. The sinful nature, I do not believe in the eradication of the old nature. I do not believe that we're set free from the old nature. I believe it's still there. In Christ, I'm set free from it. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I am free. In Christ, I am holy. But in practice, I still have this body. I still have this flesh. And until glorification... So that's the whole point of glorification, right? Some people want to move glorification to something that happens now. Glorification, there will be no more sin. I will get a glorified body because that will be free from sin. But now the sinful nature is still there. I'm still in a body of flesh. And therefore I am still struggling and will still be uh, warring against the flesh. Should I seek to mortify it? Yes. Should I seek to deny self and die to self? Yes. Oh, I'm constantly striving to do that. But But I go in knowing that I'm never going to do it fully or completely. And yes, I I read scripture. Yes, I pray. Yes. And and whatever power supposedly I get, right? I know this. It's not getting me to perfection. I know this. The old nature is still there. So whatever power you want to claim, typically you would have to agree with me. You can can focus on the power, but you would have to admit to me, well, it's not going to get me to perfection. I'm not, I'm never going to be perfect. So I can't be saying, so whatever power I get does not get me to perfection. Well, then we would be in agreement. Okay. You may want to focus on the power. I'm going to be like, I'm not going to focus on the power. I'm going to focus on the imputed righteousness of Christ. You may want to focus on what we do. I'm going to focus on what Christ did. And from that focus on what Christ did and that comfort and that security found in that, then hopefully out of love, I'll be motivated to pursue righteousness more and more. Knowing though that I will never get there. That's why I wait for the redemption of the body. That's why I await for the glorification. That's why I wait for the, the ultimate resurrection where I will have a new body, where the old will be gone and there'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, and no more death. But in the meantime, I live in a world where there is sin around me, there is sin in me. I have a sinful nature And I do not have the power to obey the law of God. I am still condemned by it. My hope is not power to keep it. My hope is in the one who kept it and accounted his obedience to me. Right? That's how, read the London Baptist Confession of Faith, right? About justification, right? What's, What's been imputed to me? His passive and active obedience. 
Now, I understand that this, that there's still lots of here to figure out, but I think we would be, and there would be much agreement if we really, because all, the only question you have to ask, can you be perfect? And if you say no, then really we're in agreement because I would say, you're right. You can't. And I would be, why can't you? Well, one, the power is limited. And two, I would argue because the sinful nature is still very much there. Just like all of those hammers behind me are are making all kinds of noise. In a sense, that's the sinful nature inside of me. Just pounding away. Exalt self. Serve self. Please self. Get what you want. Desire what it, that's sinful. It's like those hammers back there that's annoying me to death as I'm trying to do this broadcast. Can you hear them? Or they get quiet. Hey, hey, come on. But it's boom, boom. Hear it? Hear that? That's the sinful nature. It's just pounding away inside of us, pulling us away. Don't listen to God's word. Don't, don't follow what God wants. Get, get what you want. It's there. And it's, and, and it's never going to go away until this body is transformed, until a glorified body is present. All right. All right. So, so someone, someone, someone said, uh, well, they, they laughed and then they said, hear it. I, I'm hoping they hear it. I know I hear that sinful nature inside of me. Every, hear it. Every single day, just pounding away, telling me to get what I want, do what I want, serve self, please self. It's there. And every single day when the day ends and it's about ready for time for bed, I can stop and go, man, I did not serve God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. I did not love him. I felled him in thought, word, and deed by what I did and what I left undone. And I try my best every night to confess all the things that I have failed to do because I fall short every single day. Even when I think I've had a good day spiritually, I know there's millions of things that I did wrong just with my desires, even if I've never put an action into place. And it's set right there. That sinful nature. That sinful nature exalts yourself. And I don't think it's gone. I don't think I've been set free from it. I wish, I wish it was true. Oh, I do. I wish it was true. And the thing is, a lot of times people email me, you don't realize how much I want you to be right. I want you to be 100% right that now that I'm saved, I have power. I've been set free from, from uh, the sinful nature. It's gone. And now I have power to obey God. And, and the implication then would be, I should be able to be sinless. I want to be sinless. I think every, I don't, I don't, uh, there's not a lot of Christians I know who'd be like, man, you know what I prefer? I prefer sin. I, I would prefer to be sinful than sinless. I think most Christians would like to be sinless. There's a, there's a part of us that wants that, but, the, but the reality is we, we fall short and it leads to despair. And that's why many say Christianity didn't work. No, what didn't work is you were sold a Christianity that has no connection to the reality of being a Christian. The reality of being a Christian is very much we're still here with a fleshly sinful body, with a sinful nature, with God's law that we can never obey. No one can obey God's law. No one can. 
Christ did. We can't. The whole purpose of the law is to show you your inability. It is to humble you. It is to break you. It is to make you flee to Christ. It's to make you realize your only hope is not in what you do. And you defined believing as doing, not believing as trusting. I My belief is I believe in the one who did those things. I believe and I'm trusting in the one who did obey those things. Now, belief will change action to some level. I agree with that, right? If I truly believe that what God's word has to say, well, then I'm going to realize and acknowledge that is a sin and try to fight against it, strive against it. There's going to be a battle. There will be some areas where maybe I get some strong victory, but there's still going to be plenty of areas where I'm committing sin. So either you have to then minimize those areas where you're sinning, you exalt and amplify where the area where you think you've got victory. But I just want you to realize behavioral modification, some external external change. I mean, I've seen people who were completely, absolutely 100% addicted to drugs who never come to faith in Christ become absolutely become clean. They can be atheists. They can be agnostic. They can be a people of other religion and their lives are completely transformed. Has nothing to do with Christianity. Has nothing to do. Your your behavior can be modified through self-discipline, through maybe counseling, through and people of other religions have their stories of how they were transformed. I've known Muslims who talked about their life before before Allah, before Islam, and after Islam. And now they're transformed and they pray and they do all of and they fast and they they do all of these things. I've known people who are committed Catholics who I believe believe in a completely false gospel who, you know, 17, 18, they give up their entire life to become a nun. Okay, that that's sacrifice. That's a that's a massive change. I've seen change can happen in people's lives and it doesn't so just because you can say, "Well, look at this change that happened in me," you're you're going to accredit it to some supernatural power. Yes. Okay. Someone just said, see, that's what I always think about. Behavioral modification is literally a human ability. Yeah. I think there's within a human, there is the ability to change and modify behavior to some level. It has to be there, but behavioral modification is a million miles away from, Hey, the sinful nature is gone and now I can obey God because obeying God goes way beyond behavioral modification. You have to obey God in thought word, desire, feeling, and action internally and externally. God's demands are far more. The, God's law demands more than behavioral modification. That's where, that's when this always, because what always, this always turns into, well, I used to do this and I no longer do that. And I'm like, and I can find atheist, agnostic, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Buddhist, Muslims who used to do those things and they stopped doing it. Does that prove anything? No. And not only that, even if you stop the behavior, how many other ways are you still sinning? Now you say, well, does that mean I just give up? I'm not saying we give up. We are called to pursue holiness. I completely, we are called to holiness. I agree. Now I realize some of the only holiness my hope is, is in the holiness that is imputed to me in Christ, but I pursue it. I seek it. I desire it. I fight against sin. So I, I think we're probably more in agreement than maybe, 
Well, I don't know. Maybe I, I think we're probably more in agreement. I, I, again, I will just leave you with this. You say we have power. Does that power get you to perfection? If you say no, then even you acknowledge the power is limited. If we cannot get to perfection, why not? Because if you say that we're basically been set free from the sinful nature, then what's keeping us away from perfection? There's got to be something that's keeping us away from it. What is it? What is it? If the power won't get us there and we still can't get there, then, then I will argue the sinful nature is still very much present. And I will argue that the whole way it's been designed is God's law has never been there for us to keep. It's been for, for us to, there to condemn us. It's for, their, for, their, for us to show us our failure. Then we run to Christ. Now, once we run from Christ, once we run to Christ, not from Christ, once we run to Christ, then we are covered in the imputed, or you know, the imputed righteousness is, you know, accredited to our account. His righteousness is accredited to our account. Then we're like, okay, that's the law. That's the standard. I'm going to pursue it. But I know that I'm always going to fall short of it because that law demands more than simply an external adherence to it calls for something internal and external. And only Christ can accomplish that. In the meantime, that's your sinful nature. Now, I don't know if you're willing to acknowledge it, but it's at work in you every single day. Every single day. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me your agreement or disagreement to newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. If this did not answer all the questions, I apologize. I do apologize. I I, I probably would have. I, I, I was so worried about the sound behind me. I was so worried about the sound behind me that maybe I did not formulate this the way I wanted to. But I hope the person who emailed me realized, hey, Look, if you believe that, pursue it. I I truly mean it. May God bless you as you believe that this power and this ability is there. Pursue it. That's fine. But don't don't think that I'm saying, hey, guys, go out there and sin today and enjoy it because I'm not. I'm not. That that so we we are on the same page, right? But I hope. At least you may not give what I'm saying any thought today. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. Just be open and honest with yourself. That's all I ask. Just be open and honest with what's going to the hammering going on inside of you. Your thoughts, your desires, your lust. Be honest when you are backstabbing or talking about someone, gossiping, slandering someone. Be honest when you're not telling the truth or lying or deceiving people. Be honest with your lust. Be honest with your struggles. Be honest with your failures. Be honest with your, just be open and honest with what you are and who you are. And then, then when, then if you start seeing how bad it is, then make sure you cling to the imputed righteousness of Christ. But in the meantime, pursue it. I, look, you're, you're in the majority. Most Christians are going to agree with you. All right, I'll, I'm very aware of that. Mo- most Christians are going to agree with you. I know I'm in the minority of the minority of the minority of the minority of the minority. I'm very aware of that. I think sometimes there's more agreement than we want to admit because I think most Christians will, if when push comes to shove, admit 
well, the power is limited. It will not get me to perfection. And for some reason, I can't get to sinlessness. So there's something holding me back. And I think if they're honest, they know that hammering is going on inside of them. And where is that coming from? It's your sinful nature. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.